0: Good morning, church. I trust we are all doing well. Amen. Well, today is our friends and family service, and what is that? Um, It is a time we invite our friends, family, friends, and loved ones to church to experience the preaching of the gospel that leads to salvation. Amen. Every September in the church calendar is dedicated towards that initiative. Uh, Not only in our church, but in ICC worldwide. So it's something that is observed in every ICC locale. And this program is also in line with the vision of the church. What's the vision of the church? Gospel for everyone, church for every community. You know, vision uh, statements are not buzzwords. They, they are things that guides the church and leads the church on the path that God wants every church to be on and we believe that one of the ways we'll be able to do that is by reading our mission statement and it's read every Sunday winning souls building believers and churches of integrity, character and charisma so based on the mission statement we, we, we run on three strong things evangelism discipleship, God-building believers is discipleship, winning souls evangelism, and church planting and missions, all right? And uh, this is how we'll be able to achieve the vision that God has mandated for the church. And that's why we are holding this program called Friends and Family. And every September is deemed Friends and Family Month. So we are holding this not because or we don't know what we are doing. We are holding this because we are actually guided by the vision and, and and we are following where God has charted the path of the church, especially when it comes to ICC. Amen. So let's pray. But before we pray, please do me a favor by sharing today's message to every friend, family member, or loved one. Uh, if they can't join us in worship, the word can at least reach them. Amen and uh, let's believe god that a soul will be won. Um, that's the purpose of this whole month that's why we'll spend all the time praying not for anything but believing god that someone will be saved a friend family or loved one you know when jesus gave salvation he didn't just extend it to individuals he extended it to houses families but one person has to be saved for the family, for the house to come to the Lord. So it's not just God's will that just one individual out of a family will receive Christ. It's the will of God that if he comes out of that family, they will also be affected for Christ. And not just that, but also their friends. And when we are Christians, we should have this heartbeat. This should be our heartbeat. Amen. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your word. We pray that your word will minister to us, will bless us, will speak to us, will encourage us. I pray that whoever will listen to this recording too will also be blessed. I pray that may they be convicted, may they know who you truly are through this message. Reveal yourself to us, O Lord. Reveal yourself to your people. Reveal yourself to anybody that will listen to this message. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright. As far as I thought you would share the slides, or I should share that at my end. Okay. So we are continuing our series on the book of John, the Lordship of Christ, and today is our 54th installment. Go with me to the book of John, chapter 11, verse 18 to 44. There is a typo there, L111. It's supposed to be L-I-4-V. 54. Amen. I'm even losing count of the series myself. (laughs) Amen. All right, I'm reading. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the woman around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now, Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would have not died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. But Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not die. But he will rise again at the day of resurrection and he shall live and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, She arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out and followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, lord if you had been here my brother would have not died therefore when jesus saw her weeping and the jews who came with her weeping he groaned in the spirit and was troubled verse 34 and he said where have you laid him they said to him lord come and see jesus wept then the jews said see how he loved him and some of them said Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus again groaning in himself came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he has said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes. I'm always asking myself, did the people really run away? Don't you think it's very scary? Someone who is dead for four days is just hopping with grave clothes on. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Lose him and let him go. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This is a continuation of last week's story involving Jesus, Martha, uh, Mary, and then Lazarus. Uh, Last week, we learned how Jesus will always respond to our requests for help. The thing is, we have to learn in our walk with God that he will respond. But in his time, if you if you don't learn that you can easily become offended in this walk of faith, Amen. Now Jesus set off to Bethany to attend to the death of Lazarus. After staying and chilling for four days and waiting for the situation to be worse, he now decided, "Let's go with his disciples," who probably thought we are going to die. Remember last week, one of the disciples said oh, Let's follow Jesus and let's go and die, and You know, Jesus was going to a very uncomfortable situation. He was going to a place of depression, disappointment, and sorrow. And I'm sure Bethany did not represent that. Because anytime he goes to Bethany, he goes there and it's an, an atmosphere of hospitality, an atmosphere of love. You know, Jesus normally liked to refresh himself at Martha and Mary's. They fed him, looked after him, fellowshipping, him, you know, and even ministered to him out of their substance. They were like his ministry partners. So I'm sure Bethany Hode held a very special place in the heart of Jesus. But this time, when Jesus was going there, he wasn't going to socialize it was a scene of disappointment. Disappointment in a sense like, we've sent you a message, you didn't show up. Sadness in a sense that our brother is dead. Sorrow in a sense that you are mourning the bodily absence of somebody who you are not even sure where he's going to spend eternity. That's even if you believe in the afterlife, you are filled with sorrow because he's gone. His earthly shell has left and he's not coming back. And depression. You know what? Some of the highest causes of depression, the the top two. One, the death of a spouse, number two, the divorce of a spouse. Find it amazing that depression is linked with spouse. Amen. <laughs> Death of a spouse and depression of a spouse. But how be it? Death causes depression. So Jesus was going to a very gloomy and a very dark situation. You know, some of us, we don't do well around morbid situations. Because even when we go to a place where there is so much morbidness and so much darkness, we ourselves can easily get depressed just by the power of the environment or by the power of association. (coughs) Some don't even like attending funerals <clears throat> or have nothing to do with it, especially because of things like this. And no matter how the relationship with the person affected this, they will not come. Personally, I have known of people who have never gone to the funerals of their siblings, and they were close. It's not like they were not even they were close, but the, 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 the aspect of going there to a funeral And for them to see a dead person, some people can't stand it. May I say this? Jesus is not afraid to walk into your uncomfortable situation that are ugly. Jesus knew the situation he was walking into, it was an ugly situation, yet he walked into it. He's not afraid. No matter how bad our situation, excuse me, it can never disturb Jesus. He will not be nervous when he comes into this situation. You know, there are some people who get nervous at certain situations, certain gloomy situations. Jesus is never nervous. He will come. Invite him into your situation. Unfortunately, sometimes religion and tradition has made some people feel like, Oh, Jesus only likes me when I'm well and when I'm fixed. He can't come into this messy situation. Who told you? If you read your Bible carefully, Jesus went into messy situations all the time. And he went into messy situations because he knew the cure and he extended his hands of help. May I explain to you and may I submit to you this morning that Jesus is not afraid to walk into your situation. No matter how comfortable, ugly the situation is or even no matter how depressing or gloomy the situation is. He went to Bethany, knowing that they were in a state of mourning. And Martha's commentary to Jesus meeting him implied she was offended. You see, the Bible doesn't explicitly say Martha is offended. But if you look at the answer Martha gave, it implied she was offended. Excuse me, I don't know what's wrong with my throat. Because she said something. Lord, if you were here, my brother would have not died. Excuse me. I don't know how all of a sudden I have an itch in my throat. But Martha was saying that if my brother, if you had come, my brother would have not died. So, have you been through problems where you've blamed God for it? I can relate. Can understand. There are so many Christians. Some people have even left the faith because they say that Lord, when I called for you, you didn't respond. And like I said last week, God is always not sometimes, not most of the times. He will respond, but sometimes. He will not respond according to your bidding or according to your time. Martha was offended. Her answer implied Jesus is the cause of the problem. But I like what Jesus said. Jesus said that your brother will rise again. And for a minute, let's also commend Martha. Because Martha believed in who Jesus was. She said, I know that even if you ask anything from your father, he will give it to you. So even though Mata might have been disappointed, even though Mata was in a state of bereavement and in a state of mourning, she still believed that God is that mighty to stretch his hand into the situation. Don't be too offended to the point that you doubt the ability of God Because when you become too offended and too hurt to the point that you doubt the ability of God, you are walking in a place of unbelief. And people who normally walk in a place of unbelief, they are one way out or one foot out of Christianity. It is a dangerous place to walk in a place of unbelief. And most times, People who have entered into a state of unbelief, it is because they didn't deal with the offenses. That's why when you read the contemporary versions, the word offense that is used is stumble. Offenses causes you to stumble, and when it causes you to stumble, it it helps you to get one foot out of the Christian feet. And when one foot is out of the Christian feet, it will not be long. The other foot will step out. And that's why the one saved, forever saved is a very dangerous theology. We have to learn how to guard our hearts from offenses because if our hearts are guarded from offenses, it will be difficult for us to have the sin of unbelief in us. Amen. But verses 24 to 27 really arrest my attention. But I like one thing about Jesus. When he arrives in your situation he brings hope out of hopeless situations. Yes, you might say he is late, but once he gets there, he will bring hope out of hopeless situations and he will make sense out of senseless situations. Now, verses 24 to 27 really caught my attention. Martha believed in the resurrection. Because when you read... Verses 24 to 27. Jesus said, Your brother will rise again. To which Martha responded, I know my brother will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha believed in the Christian concept of resurrection. I don't know who even taught her that. Perhaps it was maybe a close proximity with Jesus, because Jesus used to visit them often, but she believed in the resurrection. But there is one thing I find interesting. Jesus then probed further about Martha's belief towards him. Jesus then went on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. And after Jesus had made such statements, the next thing he, he asked Martha is, do you believe? And Martha responded that she believed that Jesus is not just their friend, but Jesus is the Christ and Jesus is the Son of God. So what I really learned from verses 24 to 27 is that you can believe in Christian concepts, but not believe in Christ as the son of God. And may I submit this to you. God is not so much concerned about believing in the concepts of Christianity. He is much more interested in you believing in Jesus as the son of God, you in you believing Jesus as the Christ, his divinity. Because once we can believe in the divinity of Christ, it's through that that we can experience salvation. It is not in believing Jesus as a prophet that will grant us salvation. It is not in believing in Jesus as a good man or as a teacher that will bring us salvation. It's not in believing Jesus Christ as a miracle worker or even someone who could raise people from the dead that will grant us salvation. It is believing in the divinity of Christ, Jesus as the Son of God, Jesus as the Christ, Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. It's not just about believing in the concept of resurrection that one day we will rise from the dead, but it is believing in Jesus that it is by him that we will resurrect on the last day so it's very possible it's very likely people can believe in christian concepts but yet will fail to believe in christ you see i'm sure jesus was impressed (coughs) with martha's response martha believed in the resurrection but does martha believe that by me people will experience resurrection and that's very important You can believe in many things, like giving, which is a Christian concept. Showing mercy, which is a Christian concept. Justice, which is a Christian concept. Even there are some people who go to church not because they are Christians. They go to church because they believe it's a good Christian concept. But Jesus is more interested in people believing in his divinity, than just believing in Christian concepts. Some of the wealthiest families in America practice tithing, which is a Christian concept. And when you ask them, how did you hear of tithing? It's a biblical principle. But do they really believe in Jesus as the son of God? Do you know that most Jewish people even today even still practice the concept of tithing? But how many of them believe that Jesus is the Messiah. You see, so it's not just about believing in a Christian concept. It's about believing in who Jesus is. He's not the son of Mary as the Pharisees wanted us to believe. He is more than that. He is God. Amen. Now, let's focus on verse 25 to 26, which is the main crux of this message. Jesus made another bold and emphatic saying, And we have looked at five of them so far. We recently looked at two from our previous chapter in John chapter 10. We talked about the door of the sheep and Jesus being the good shepherd. And these sayings go on to set Jesus apart from other religious figureheads. These are the statements that make him God. It makes him stand in the same breath and in the same class as God. Jesus is God. Now, for emphasis, I want to read verses 25 to 26 again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Please, the slides. Amen. By this statement, Jesus is saying, I am the source of eternal life. Your brother will experience resurrection and life by me. So that's the I am, the sixth I am. We are now on the sixth I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, we have gone ahead to talk of eternal life in John chapter 10, verse 10. I did a whole expose on that. And if you listen to the message, it's recorded. Uh, We are promised if we believe in Christ, we will not die. And death here is not referring to physical death. Death here is spiritual death. And what is spiritual death? It's separation from God. Amen. But the Bible promises us that we will live again. And when will we live, we will live on the day of resurrection, which is the last day. So inasmuch as Jesus wanted to raise Lazarus from the dead, he was much more interested in the salvation of a soul. So, one of the reasons why Jesus came the time he came was not just to raise Lazarus from the dead but to announce himself as he is the resurrection and the life. He rather came to declare something that was more important than just raising someone from the dead. He came to grant eternal security of a soul. Ladies and gentlemen, We can all be products of God's miracles, God's power, even to the point of being raised from the dead. But do you know that when you are raised from the dead, you will not live forever? You can still die. And when you die, where will you spend eternity? So Jesus had something much bigger than just resurrecting Lazarus from the dead. He was interested in introducing himself that when you believe in me as Christ, When you believe in me as the son of God, I give life. And it is through me that you will experience resurrection. That though you may die because you live on this earth, but after the end of this age, you will live forevermore because you have experienced life. And it is by me that you will experience resurrection at the last day. And this is what Jesus is saying. So, inasmuch as Jesus is interested in doing great things, providing us with miracles, giving us great testimonies that we will enjoy and we will love Christianity, Christ is stretching his hands to us this Sunday morning, inviting us to experience eternal life where we can truly live forever. Amen. So, on this friends and family day, Christ wants to offer himself as the greatest gift because he gives life to us. And how do we experience this life? It starts by believing in him as Lord. Now, when we are talking about eternal life, it's not really talking about the number of years you will spend on this earth. You will die. Because it is appointed on man to die once and after death judgment. We will die. I know that's a morbid statement, but that's the truth. But after the end of this age, we will enter into another dispensation, and that is what matters. Are you going to continue living, or are you going to be separated from God, which is tantamount to spiritual death? And that's what matters. So Christ came to offer himself as the greatest gifts. That through him, we will experience resurrection. And through him, we will experience life because he is the source of eternal life. Secondly, Christ also wants to bring life to our dead current situations. So from this story, Jesus is not just interested in the future state of the man. He's not just interested in the salvation of his soul. He is also interested in the current situation of your life. He came to bring life to dead situations. And today, what death situation do you have? What is your quote-unquote, your Lazarus? Whatever it may be, whatever that is dead in your life, hand it over to Jesus because he is the resurrection and life. He just doesn't affect our future states Or with regards to the salvation of our soul, he also affects our day-to-day current needs. Christ is interested in that. From this scripture, we can confidently say that God is interested in our present needs and our future. He just doesn't care about our future needs. He's also interested in our current and our present needs. He's interested in every facet and in every little detail of our life. Well, the Bible lets us know that after Jesus' discourse with Martha, he now proceeded towards Mary. And Mary had the same answer as Martha's. Let me tell you something God knows how you feel about him, but he will still come to you anyway. And that to me is his love. That's the God we serve. Your your anger, your jealousy, your, your disappointment, your dismay, probably at the things of God or at God, is not so strong to stop God's love reaching towards you. He knew how Mary felt, but he still went to Mary. Have you shied from going to a place because you'll be seen as the source or the blame of the cause? Nobody likes going to a place where you easily be blamed. But no matter maybe how much the people might even want to blame Jesus for the death of Lazarus, he still went there because of love. And verses 33 to 35 shows us how Jesus is in touch with our pain. And when you read verse 35, it records the shortest verse in the Bible, two words Jesus wept. And it shows that we, we don't just serve god who is just an eternal being and a deity but we serve a god with feelings and this is one of the reasons why the greeks deemed the gospel foolish the reason why the greeks really struggled to accept the gospel was they couldn't believe that god should show emotion they believed in a concept called apathia and that's where the English word apathy comes from. Because they believe that a deity or an entity should show no emotion or feeling. It's a weak thing. This was something promoted by Philo. And then Aristotle and Plato also took this concept around. You know, like for us to serve a God, the God that you are presenting as us with feeling that he can cry, that he can sense our pain, is offensive. And that's why if you look at even Greek mythology, all the gods that they have, the reason why they could serve them was because they had no feeling. They were detached from human emotions. But may I say something? God is a God with a heart. He feels what we feel. When we are in pain, he is also in pain. How do I know that? Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, and I read, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So from this scripture, I personally deduce four points. Number one, Jesus is a high priest. May I submit to you that we have only one high priest. All right? that, that title, high priest, is very exclusive. No man on this earth can call himself high priest. All of us are priests. All of us are A royal priesthood, but only one person has the title high priest, and that's Christ. And why do I say that? Based on Hebrews chapter 5, I wouldn't even want to go into that because that's not my message. Number two, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. This is the God that we serve. You know, Jesus is God. This is the God that we serve. He sympathizes. He feels sorry for our weaknesses. He feels sorry. He understands why we are in the pain we are in. Sympathize. So it's not what the Greeks would call apathia, the God of apathy. He feels our weaknesses. He knows when you are struggling to live right. He knows when you are under the pain you are. He knows when you are subject to sickness. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Feel sorry. He's a God with a heart. And then he goes beyond sympathy. He empathizes with our weaknesses. If you read the, if you read the latter part of verse 15, it says that not only did he sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we, yet without our sin. So he didn't just sympathize, feel sorry. He also empathizes with our weaknesses. You know, to empathize means to walk in the person's shoes. But most times when we human beings say we empathize, it's a figurative expression. But when Jesus says he empathizes, he literally walked in our shoes, Literally felt the pain we felt, literally experienced what we experienced. That is why he is our high priest. And then the fourth thing is that because he has the feelings of our infirmities, because he can sympathize and empathize, the fourth thing, he wants us to come to him boldly. That's the word. Don't come to him shy. Don't come to him with a reservation. Come to him boldly that you will obtain. Grace and mercy. Amen. Jesus is our high priest. And when Jesus was crying, looking at the woman, looking at Martha, looking at the Jews, he was being the high priest. He was sympathizing. He was not just sympathizing, he was also empathizing because he understands what it meant to die. You see, I can feel sorry for someone who is dead. But until I have died, I wouldn't know what it means to die. But as Jesus doesn't just sympathize, feel sorry, he also empathize because he knows what it means to die. Amen. And then I like how Jesus prayed. Very simple prayer. If you read verse 41, the Bible says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are attending by, I, I said this, that they believe that you sent me. That's the end of the prayer. It's less than a minute. And then he shouted, Lazarus, come forth. You know, I believe that the, the gift of faith was in operation here. When, when you look at the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one of them is called the gift of faith. I believe Jesus was operating in that because you need to operate in the gift of faith to flow in the working of miracles and the gifts of healing. Amen. And the story ended with Jesus bringing Lazarus back to life. And I'm sure that a place that was full of sorrow, disappointment, hopelessness, anger, turned into a place of joy and a place of merrymaking. And when we read chapter 12, we will see that they they, they had merrymaking because Lazarus was brought back to life. The focus of our story today should not be on Christ resurrecting Lazarus, even though that is in the story. The focus of this story today should be on Christ offering resurrection and life to all who believe, because he is the source of eternal life. From this story, I now can understand why Jesus had to wait four days before he attended to Martha and Mary's request. He waited this long to show them that he is the Son of God. He waited this long to show them he is God. He waited this long to show them he is the sent one. He waited this long to show them that he is the source of eternal life. He waited this long to show them that he is indeed the resurrection and the life. And since he is the resurrection and the life, it's seemingly a small thing for him to raise up Lazarus from the dead. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you Jesus Jesus in his divine and his priestly estate and in his heavenly splendor as the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the son of God, the Sent one, the source of eternal life, the resurrection and the life. He's more than just a good man or a prophet. He is life. I'd like to end today's message with a call to repentance. If you are listening and you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, and you would like to, just say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for stretching your arms towards me. I confess I am a sinner. In need of your love, in need of your life, I submit myself to you. May my may I be quickened by your spirit, that I will become part and parcel of you. I thank you that all my sins have been forgiven and all my sins have been washed away. I thank you that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I thank you that I am safe. I thank you that I have contacted life because you are indeed the resurrection and life. Thank you, Lord. For this prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Now, I want us to pray. Father, I've delivered your word to your people. Thank you for what you've given to us on this friends and family day service, that you are the resurrection and the life. And truly, if we believe in you, of certainty we shall not die, but we shall live. Thank you for this promise. I pray that as we have received this word, may we be bold to share this word with our friends, family, and loved ones that Jesus is indeed the resurrection and the life. Thank you. We appreciate the divinity of Christ. We esteem his heavenly splendor of who he truly is in our lives. Help us to know who Christ is daily in our lives, O Lord, that we'll appreciate his divinity now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.